The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Hello everyone, my name is Dolapo, and here with me today is my daughter, Jemima, and my son, Jedediah. Today we will be reading from Luke chapter 11 from verse 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and leads us lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answered, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything, I tell you. Even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Look. 18 from verse 1 to 8 I read then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up he said in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea grant me justice against my adversary For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Who cry out to him day and night? Will it keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will it find faith on the earth? Praise the Lord. Good morning. I'm Dave Barton. I serve on the Board of Church Governance here at White Ridge Baptist Church. 
And our lead pastor, Terry Jank, was scheduled to speak this Sunday, but we agreed earlier this week uh, that Pastor Terry would hand off to me so that he could continue to concentrate on his study week. You see, each uh, summer, Terry takes a week away and prepares the sermon series for the next year and seeks God's discernment on what he is to preach, what we are to teach in, on the Sunday morning schedule. And uh, so he wanted to continue to focus on that and graciously invited me to uh, fill in for him this morning. So I'd ask you to keep Pastor Terry in prayer as he continues to uh, discern God's will for us in this coming year, and particularly regarding the sermon series. Uh, Pastor Terry will be back next week. He'll wrap up our summer series on prayer, and then on the subsequent Sunday, he'll be sharing with us uh, what God has in store for us for this coming fall and winter. I'd also like to take this opportunity to recognize the work of our leadership over these past 18 months. Uh, we all know how challenging it has been on many number of fronts, and throughout the pandemic, our staff has worked continuously and creatively to continue to keep us connected and to continue to deliver ministry uh, where God has been leading us. And I wanna say a special thank you to our COVID-19 task force. Um, it hasn't been an easy job for them. We made uh, uh, created a task force last summer as the conditions were changing and we were going to be allowed to come back into church. We wanted to do that thoughtfully and carefully. And I like the guiding principle they chose is to think of others before yourself. And I just want to remind us of that, that even as the rules continue to change, sometimes by the week, uh, to be patient and for us to be consistent in following the government direction as we continue to do and to follow those public health advisories and mandates. So at, at this time, I'd like to, to recognize Linnell Clausen as the leader of that group. She has done an outstanding job with her team, and the team members are Janelle Hildebrand, Phil Nickel, and James Samantha. They've uh, worked tirelessly to stay on top of the latest uh, guidance and directions, working with staff to, uh, to discern what that means for us, and, and then communicating it. And I want to thank all of you for, uh, you know, masks on, masks off. This week we're back to masks on, so I thank you for uh, as uncomfortable as it may be for a lot of us to keep your masks on throughout your time here at church. Um, that's what we're mandated to do right now, and that's for the protection of others, so keep that in mind. Uh, but for Linnell, Janelle, Phil, and James, could we just give them a round of applause? It, it has been a lot of work for them, and I know there's a lot of differences of opinion within our congregation, and some of you have shared with me, some of you have shared with the staff. We welcome that feedback. Uh, again, we're trying to be consistent in how we apply, but we want to hear from you when you feel that we're going in the wrong direction one way or the other. We appreciate that feedback. So with that, it's great to see more people in the building. Uh, the last couple of times I was able to speak here, the building was empty, so it's really nice to see people in the pews. It's also nice to know there are still hundreds of people at home participating at home. So, great to see people in the building, but we are the church. This building is not the church. This building is a tool that God has given us to use as his church to encourage one another and to share his truth and love with one another and with our community. And we're so thankful for this facility. We look forward to uh, hopefully in the coming weeks and months getting more use out of it, having more ministry operate out of this building. But again, the building is a tool, we are the church. And I wanna to continue to encourage each and every one of you 
Um, Church is not about Sunday morning in this building. It's not about Sunday morning in your living room watching the sermon. That's a part of it. But the church is 24-7. We are to be disciples of Jesus anywhere, everywhere that he takes us and to share his truth and love however he enables us. So I encourage you in that. So far this summer on our prayer series, we've seen a lot of great examples of prayer from the Old Testament. And last week, Barb Brewer shared with us Mary's prayer of glorification to God. And we've heard a lot of great word from God's word on prayer. And today, I'm privileged to share Jesus' example, along with a couple of his parables, on being persistent in prayer. And I have to tell you, I'm also humbled because I believe God has as much, if not more, to tell me about this as he does for you. So Heavenly Father, as we look into your word and open our hearts and minds to hear from you, I pray that you would truly enlighten us and inspire us to be men and women of prayer. I pray that my words would not be a hindrance to your words, that the message you have for us today will clearly land on us and transform us more into the likeness of your Son, our Savior and perfect example, Jesus Christ. It's because of him and in his name that we pray to you. Amen. So, the topic this morning is persistent in prayer. And I initially resisted the urge to throw in a definition, but I looked at the Oxford Dictionary this morning and, I, and now I can't resist. I, the, the two definitions in the Oxford Dictionary for persistent are continuing firmly or obstinately in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Definition number two, continuing to exist or endure over a prolonged period of time. So notice that both of those definitions start with continuing. Persistent is something that goes on and that needs to be an ongoing action. It's not a point in time, it's ongoing. We have to continue in something. And the first indi uh, definition indicates that we stay the course even in the face of difficulty or opposition. The second definition tells us that persistence occurs over a prolonged period of time. And when I think of other areas of my life where I need to be or try to be persistent, I think of my daily devotions, spending time each day in God's word, physical activity, trying to stay in shape by working out consistently, I think of some past situations at work where I had to persistently pursue something that I thought was right or good. And although it might be self-evident to most of us, as I reflect on some of these examples in my life, I come to a more full realization that persistence takes a bit of effort. And I don't always do it well. So let's look into scripture and see Jesus' example of how to do it well. And the scripture we're looking at this morning, as you heard read, is in the book of Luke, chapter 11 and chapter 18. So I'm going to ask you to follow along in your Bibles as, as I go through, starting in chapter 11. And in both of these passages, Jesus encourages us to be persistent in prayer. He provides a clear indication of what persistence is and what it should look like to pray persistently. He also provides, or implies, certain parameters, such as correct focus, proper motives, that are to shape our persistence. It's equally important to note that Jesus not only tells us to be persistent, he gives us parables to illustrate 
the type of persistence he desires, but he also models persistent prayer that we are to follow as his disciples, and we see that throughout the Gospels. So turning to Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1, well, the first thing we see is that Jesus was praying in a certain place. So Jesus had a certain place where he went to pray. Uh, This was normally off by himself. When he had serious prayer, it was one-on-one with the Heavenly Father. And we see this repeatedly through Jesus' earthly ministry. He would often go away by himself and pray, um, sometimes heading up to the mountains, other times to a desert place, always away from the crowds, away from distractions. And he usually did that late in the evening or early in the morning, again, quiet times. Sometimes we're told he prayed all night. And we see lots of examples of Jesus praying before or after some of the significant ministry activities while he was on this earth. So scripture tells us that uh, he went away to pray alone before he chose the 12 disciples. After feeding the 5,000 and before walking on the water, after performing mass healings and driving out demons, and of course he prayed prior to his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. Jesus was very obviously consistent in spending time alone with God the Father, finding times and places away from distraction or interruption. If you look at Luke 5.16, it further emphasizes that this was a regular practice for Jesus. And as his close companions, his disciples were with him 24-7, day and night, for three years. So they became well aware of this habit that Jesus had of going off and praying alone. Sometimes he'd be at a distance and they wouldn't see him. Other times he'd be fairly close by. Uh, When he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that he left Peter, James, and John and went a stone's throw to pray by himself. So there were lots of times that they could see him praying alone. There were other times but they knew that he was off and praying. And that makes sense because if we're going to have, of course, there are times and occasions for group prayer. We pray together in pairs, in teams and groups. That's very encouraging and it's to be encouraged. Uh, But it's sort of like if you have a friend. You like to spend time with your friends. But if you have a special friend, you spend time with them in a group, but you want to spend time alone with them. You want to spend that quality time alone together. That's how we should be with our Heavenly Father, and that's what Jesus modeled for the disciples and for us. There were times when Jesus wanted and needed that intimate conversation with God the Father, and he needed to go off by himself to do that. Well, of course, the disciples are watching. They they see this. So it's not a surprise that in verse 1 we see one of the disciples, when Jesus comes back, saying, Jesus, why don't you teach us how to pray? John the Baptist taught his disciples, why don't you teach us? Now, it doesn't tell us who this disciple was. Uh, I kind of like to speculate that it might have been Andrew or John, who had been disciples of John the Baptist before they joined Jesus. But at any rate, the answer that Jesus gives is for all of the disciples. Matter of fact, it's for all of us. And the answer he gave is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And it's interesting that we call it that because the Lord gave it to us. But really, it's the disciples' prayer. It's the model or the framework of prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples to say, here is the fashion in which you should pray. You'll also find that prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. If you uh, flip over to Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13, has basically the identical prayer. So this was not a one-time thing. Yes, in Luke it tells us Jesus taught his disciples, 
But in Matthew, Jesus is preaching to large crowds and telling them, this is how you pray. So this prayer was undoubtedly shared amongst Jesus' followers. It was passed on to the early church by the apostles. We see it recorded in two of the four gospels, and it's still very relevant to us today. And it was an interesting uh, drama that we just saw because I think it reinforces the point that this prayer is not prescriptive. It doesn't tell us exactly what to say. It's not about repeating the words. It's more instructive in showing us how we should pray. These are the things you should pray for. These are the things you should concentrate on. And just as you saw in the drama, when we look at those words, there's so much depth and meaning. Each of those little phrases is just packed with meaning. And it would take another entire sermon to unpack that. So for our purposes today of looking at persistence prayer, let's just suffice to say that our primary focus in praying should be on God and on our relationship with him. So after giving that prayer framework, Jesus goes right into a parable about a very persistent neighbor. So when you see things packed that close together, you know they're related. And that's the part we're, we're concentrating on today is the persistence of prayer. We'll refer back to the Lord's Prayer to draw some examples. But let's look at that parable of the persistent neighbor. I know the first time I read this years ago, I put myself in the place of the poor guy who's being woken up in the middle of the night. Why is this guy knocking on my door at midnight? It's so annoying. What do you want? You want some bread? Like, you're going to wake the kids up. You're going to wake the whole house. It's going to be turmoil. The kids are going to go nuts. Look, just take the bread and go. Just leave me alone. You're being annoying. But then I read verses 9 and 10. And it's clear that Jesus is telling me that I'm the guy banging on the door. More than that, Jesus is saying, I want you to be that guy banging on the door. He's telling us in the next few verses to ask, seek, and knock. He wants us to be persistent in coming to him. He wants us to ask for things that we think we need, to seek answers to those tough questions that we don't have, and to knock on the door of the only one who has those answers and can provide those needs. Most importantly, he tells us that if we ask, we will receive. If we seek, we will find. And if we knock, the door will be opened to us. One subtle point that we mustn't overlook is that we need to ask, seek, and knock with the right motives. Let's look again at the guy knocking on the door in the parable. Is he just being annoying for his own selfish desires? Is he just an annoying neighbor who likes to wake you up in the middle of the night? No, he has a reason for being there. He has a visitor who's arrived in the middle of the night who needs food. And he's desperately seeking a source of food so that this poor traveler can have something to eat before he goes to bed. So he's not being selfish. He's got a pretty good motive. Let's look again back at the Lord's Prayer as he points us towards proper motives for our prayers. And if you look at each piece of, of that prayer, we're to focus on God on his name, on his kingdom, on his power to provide for our daily needs, on his forgiveness, and on his ability to help us forgive others. It's about his empowerment 
to enable us to resist temptation because we know we can't do it on our own. Now this is further clarified as Jesus goes on in verses 11 to 13 where he talks about a child asking for something to eat. And what's the child asking for? They're not asking for candy. They're not asking for, they're asking for good food. So of course, we as parents, if our kids come and ask us for something good, we're not gonna give them something bad like a snake or a scorpion. We'd be delighted that the child is asking for something good. We'd be well pleased to provide that good thing that the child is desiring. So Jesus says, if we, who are sinful people, he actually calls us evil, but what does Romans 3.23 say? It says, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if we who are evil know how to give good things to our children, how much more does the perfect heavenly father want to give us good gifts when we ask for them? Of course he does. So children, there's a lesson here for you as well. Learn to ask for good things and be obedient to your parents. You know, one of the 12, uh, 10 commandments, sorry, is for us as children to honor our parents. And that commandment even comes with a promise that we will have a good and long life. So be obedient to your parents. Be good children. Your parents desire to give you good things when you are good and you ask for the right things. And for us adults, we sometimes need to be reminded that we were all children at some point in our lives. Some of us, that was a long time ago. But in fact, some of us still act a lot like kids, especially when we're with our children or with our grandchildren. I know when I'm with my grandsons, I'm right in there. I wanna be playing board games and building Lego, playing tag in the park. I wanna go down every water slide in the water park. Uh, when I'm with my grandkids, I'm a kid again. And you know what? That's how God sees us. We see our children. We see a level of maturity that's not there yet. We're, we're, we're helping them to grow. You know, God looks at us and he wants us to be perfect like him. But he knows us. He knows we're not perfect. And far too often, we act like children in relation to our Heavenly Father. We ignore him far too often. We only go to him when we want something and we come pleading with our selfish desires that we want and we want to convince God that he should give us what we want. And we stop and think about that, we know that's wrong because when our children do that to us, we, we know how annoying that can be. So I thank God for my children and my grandchildren because they have been and continue to be frequent reminders of how God sees me. I'm not perfect. I don't always behave as I should. Sometimes do things that I'm sure he wouldn't approve of, and yet he loves me with an unimaginable love. As much as we love our children, he loves us and them infinitely more. So I encourage us to be good role models, good behavior, if, for us to be obedient children of our Heavenly Father, to set that example for our children, and, and to ask God to help us to be good and loving parents to our children. So one final point on the last verse in this passage, verse 13. Jesus says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So at first, I looked at this and I'm questioning, God, why do I have to ask you to give me the Holy Spirit? When I accepted the free gift of salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ, you put the Holy Spirit within me. I have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Why would I have to pray for the Holy Spirit? So two thoughts occurred to me. 
The first is that Jesus is talking to his disciples here before his death and resurrection, before he has even promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. And for Jewish men living in that time, the concept of the Holy Spirit coming in power, I mean, they're thinking Elijah, they're thinking, wow, God's gonna give us the Holy Spirit. That would be a powerful message to them at that time. And for us today, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Wow, how much more could God give us? He's already given us himself. And contrarily, what good thing would he conceivably withhold from us if he's already given us himself? So when we pray, we're intentionally connecting to the all-powerful creator of everything, the fountain of all knowledge and the source of all strength. It really is too mind-blowing for our little brains to comprehend. So let's move over to Luke chapter 18 and starting in verse one. And this is another parable that uh, we heard about during the the kids' minute. This further emphasizes our uh, direction from God to always pray and never give up. That's Jesus' words in verse one. I want you to always pray and never give up. And then in the next four verses, two to five, he tells the story of the widow who petitions the judge. She wants justice, but this judge neither feared God nor respected man. So was he gonna do the right thing for her? Eh, why bother? But she kept coming to him, and she kept coming to him. And finally, the judge relented and said, fine, I'll give you justice. And Jesus says, if this unrighteous judge who isn't even really a good judge, is willing to give what is right to the widow who's persistent, how much more will God, who's our ultimate righteous judge, be even more willing to hear our cries and even more eager to dispense justice? Let's not miss this important lesson, which Jesus himself has modeled for us and explained using two parables and these supporting examples. He's definitely encouraging us to be persistent in prayer. However, Persistent prayer without proper focus and motivation can quickly become self-indulged whining for what I want. We're not to make prayer a platform to press God for our selfish desires. We are not to be like the Simpson children who relentlessly pester their dad with a chorus of, can we have a pool dad, 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 until Homer finally relents and buys them a pool. That's the bad example we are not to follow. You know, our prayers should never be intended to change God's mind in order to get what we want, but rather to have him shape and renew our mind and conform our desires to his will. And again, Jesus gives us the example as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. Persistent prayer should also be about quality, not quantity. Let's look once again at the Lord's Prayer. So we're back in uh, chapter 11, verses two to four. It doesn't give us a long rambling list of things to pray for. It just provides a compact framework upon which we can build our specific praises and prayer requests. In Matthew chapter six, just before Jesus shares this same prayer model during his Sermon on the Mount, he provides this warning. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So our prayers are not to be vain repetition. However, being persistent in prayer may see us continuing to pray for something 
day after day, month after month, year after year. Some good examples of this could be praying for the salvation of loved ones, for long-term health concerns, for healing of broken relationships, uh, for community or global needs, like the many challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic here and around the world. The, the devastation still being caused by wildfires in Western Canada, the earthquake in Haiti, or the situation in Afghanistan, as Doug prayed for earlier. And a great example that Doug shares is the persecuted church. Christians have been persecuted for over 2,000 years. And we need to stop and think when we complain about what's happening in Manitoba and in Canada, and no, we're not perfect and things aren't always going great. But take a look at those 50 top places in the world where Christians are being persecuted, where their very lives are at risk if they profess their faith in Jesus. We need to be praying for those people. Those are prayers that have been going up to our Heavenly Father for 2,000 years. And I think he wants us to be, I know he wants us to be persistent in prayer for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. And it's interesting, we don't know when or how God might answer some of our persistent prayers. But I do know that God shapes us and grows our faith as we consistently and persistently pray to him. Quite often, he will show us how he wants us to become part of the answers to our own prayers. So what have we learned from Jesus' model of prayer and the parables that he provided along with it? I like to sum it up this way. Persistent prayer is a virtue when we pursue the right things in the right way. Jesus clearly wants us to be persistent in prayer. The persistence is to be demonstrated by consistently finding a quiet place, spending time alone with him in prayer, so that we're properly focused on him. We need to pray with proper motives, humbly seeking his will, submitting our wants and desires to be conformed to his intentions and desires for us. Our challenge is to follow Jesus' example, to be faithful, consistent, and persistent in God-focused and properly motivated prayer. And by doing that, to also set a good example for others. Just as Jesus served as the role model for the first disciples, and the apostles served as role models for the early church, we need to be the role models of godly, persistent prayer for our children, our grandchildren, our friends, and our neighbors. The final words of my closing prayer will be the Lord's Prayer, as I learned it as a child, based on the King James Version. And if you know the words, I invite you to pray me as I get to the end and pray that prayer. But if you don't know the words, you'll also be able to see them up on the screen. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly as your dear children. We know that you are the giver of all good things and the righteous judge of all creation. And we acknowledge your sovereignty over us. We know that we can approach you directly because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you that the gift of salvation is freely given and that we have done nothing, nor could we ever do anything, to earn the right to be called your children. But in your great mercy and by your amazing grace, that is who we are. Thank you, Jesus, for this indescribable gift. We are awestruck by the reality of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence, for enlightening us in our understanding of God's word, 
for producing in us the fruit of Christ-likeness and interceding for us with groanings that words cannot express. Help us to persistently pray for the right things in the right way. Father God, you have reminded us today of your desire for us to be persistent in prayer, that we would regularly find quiet times and places to meet with you, reverence you, worship you, submit to you, and share our deepest thoughts, needs, desires, and questions. We claim your promise that when we ask, we will receive. When we seek, we will find. And when we knock, the door will be open to us. I pray that we will do this with pure motives, with our focus on you, and allowing you to conform our desires to your will. Thank you, Jesus, for being the perfect model of prayer and providing us this framework in response to the disciples' request to teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Holy Father, we just ask you to just be present with us. Holy Spirit, just help us to be persistent in, in prayer. Help us to be persistent in our, our relationship with you, God. And help us to be persistent in, in seeking to support and pray for those around us and, and globally. We thank you that you are a God who hears our prayers and answers them and uses them to, to bring us closer to Jesus. In your holy and awesome name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week.